Let's uh, turn first of all to 1 Samuel. I know this is John's study, right? So turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And uh, I want to look a little deeper into the concept we spoke about this morning here in John 14. And that's to look into the idea, the principle, the commandment of God concerning obedience. I think most of us would be familiar with the little Patch the Pirate uh, song. It's in our hymn book, O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Better get all, get all the letters in there. Uh, it says, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. It's a, a wonderful little song. It's not just for kids, but it's for adults as well. It shows that we are one of God's children, that we love the Lord Jesus. And so we want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verses 22 and 23. We read them this morning, but it says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king." On one occasion, many years ago, in a children's hospital, a little boy gained a reputation for wreaking havoc upon the nurses and all the medical staff. And one day, a visitor who knew the little boy made a deal with him. She said, if you'll be good this week, well, I'll give you a dollar when I come again to see you. Is that a deal? And he said, well, yep, that's, uh, that sounds like a good deal. Uh, if I'm good for a week, you'll give me a dollar. And he agreed to it. A week later, the same lady stood at the bottom of the young boy's bed and she said, I tell you what, I'm not going to ask the nurses or the doctors or the medical team if you've behaved yourself. You must tell me, do you deserve the dollar? And from a little bundle underneath the sheets came this answer. Just give me a penny. (laughs) You know, uh, sometimes, and I better do what I encourage you to do and that's turn your phone off but just sure as will I word just as sure as the world I don't one of my kids is going to send a message and going to start blinging here and they'll start talking to each other back and forth and my phone will go crazy and I won't get a word in edgewise but now many of us feel a sense of failure when it comes to obedience to God's word in our lives I think if we're honest with each other and with God And with ourselves, all of us in some way, shape, or form that we have missed the expectations that are outlined for us in the scriptures, or perhaps in the present day Christian trend, but now it's true that we should never get to the point where we're haughty or high-minded, where we're proud or we think we stand, because the apostle has told us very clearly that when we get to that point, We need to take heed lest we fall. Paul said that to uh, those he was writing to. And the Lord Jesus in the Beatitudes told us, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we need to be humble if God's going to exalt us. But there is around today kind of a false humility. 
in regard to obedience. And what do I mean by false humility? Well, I mean this. There are people who will freely admit to you, look, I'm not what I should be as a Christian. I fall far short of everything that I know I ought to be. And yet they're resigned and content to stay that way. And some kind of substandard fickle obedience to God, yes, they follow Christ halfway or three-quarters of the way or even 99% of the way, but just not all the way. And they'll admit that to you. And maybe you're here tonight, uh, and you would freely say, look, I know that I'm not what I should be, but I try my best in some factors within Christian life and the commandments and the rules and the principles But yet today, you're content where you're at. You're not striving to be 100% completely dedicated in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're like that, I would dare say that you've never seen or understood the prominent place that obedience has in the Word of God. And perhaps you've never seen also the provision that God has made for you in His Son in the Christian gospel and life for us to be enabled to obey God. Now, what I want to do is to expand on what we t- spoke about in this morning. Do you love Jesus? And are you walking in the paths of obedience? Are you using and tapping into the power that God has provided for you in Christ? I believe in the grace of God. I believe we underestimate sometimes the grace of God. I would also have to say that it's a misrepresentation of grace to think that grace permits us to be disobedient as we like, as much as we like in this life and just kind of get free forgiveness right away and that there'll be no consequences for the spiritual life and the spiritual fruit uh, that you'll bear. Now that's just not grace. Paul says in response to that kind of idea, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's the answer? God forbid. God forbid. We are called as Christians to obedience. Notice, first of all, obedience from cover to cover. I'm talking about from cover to cover the God's word. We're told in John chapter 14 that we're to keep or obey Christ's commandments. There are at least 613 commandments in the Old Testament, in the law of Moses. Uh, and uh, we say, well, those were the time of the law, and those, some of those commandments aren't relevant to us today. That may be so, but there are many, many commandments in the Old Testament that are relevant to us. And as I think I mentioned this morning, there are about a thousand commandments in the New Testament. So get ready. You ready? No, we're not going to look at them all tonight. We're not even going to try. But I do want you to see the prominent place given to obedience in God's word. We want to start at the beginning of the Bible. First of all, if you turn with me back to uh, Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to be turning to a number of passages uh, this evening. So... uh, I want you to understand, though, the prominent place that obedience has in God's word. First of all, there's obedience at the, at the beginning. In Genesis 2 and verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat, freely eat. Then in Genesis 3 and verse 11, you will see what transpired. Adam and Eve disobeyed. 
And he said, Who told you that you could, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Now, please notice this, the right at, right at the beginning of all time of creation, the beginning of all things, obedience is the one thing that was commanded by God to man. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Obedience was the one and only condition for Adam and Eve to abide in the Garden of Eden. I think that's important. The one thing that the creator of man right from the beginning asked of his creatures was absolute obedience. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, I want you to notice in the first three or four chapters of the book of Genesis that outline the creation and the fall of man. You know what? There's not one mention of faith. There's not one mention of humility. There's not even a mention of love. But the prime subject that God brings to his creatures is, you must obey me. And what is implied in that is that obedience incorporates love and humility and faith and the spiritual virtue that exists that can be under the umbrella of complete and absolute obedience to God. Now we're starting right at the beginning and we're laying down the foundation of the principle of first mentioned. You know, uh, and I mentioned the word hermeneutics to somebody here uh, earlier this uh, evening. But hermeneutics is not uh, a computer called Herman in, in Maranatha's uh, uh, first computer room. Uh, it's a huge, big computer that took up the whole room. We called him Herman. Since the Bible college, we thought, you know, you go in there and learn hermeneutics. Well, hermeneutics is the idea of interpretation, interpreting the Bible. When you take a class in hermeneutics, you learn how to interpret the Bible through different principles. And the, one of the first principles is the principle of first mention. That in the life of man, to obey was one needful thing as far as God was concerned. That's right at the beginning of God's word. Now we're going to look at some passages in between, but just to see that this is the constant message of the word of God. So now let's go to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, that shouldn't be hard to find. That's the very last book of the Bible. If you can get past all your concordances and maps and so forth. But Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14. Revelation 22, verse 14. It says, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So right at the end of the Bible, obedience to God's command is still being asked of mankind. Now I want you to notice this, from beginning to end, from paradise lost in the Garden of Eden to paradise regained in the eternal state of heaven, it's only obedience on both occasions that gives us the right to access the tree of life. So you can see how important obedience is. Now someone say, wait a minute, Pastor. Sounds like you're preaching salvation by works. No, I'm not. And so we might ask the question, well, if there was a disobedience at the beginning that closed the way of tree of life, how all of a sudden has obedience gained access to the end 
in the end, to the last chapter, to the tree of life in heaven. What caused this change? Here's your answer. Find it in Romans chapter 5 and verse 19. Romans 5 and verse 19. For as by one man disobedience, many were made sinners. So by obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now how can it be that the tree of life is closed to mankind because of their disobedience, and all of a sudden at the end of God's word, at the end of time, it's opened up again? How is it possible when man is still a sinner? By one man's obedience, that is the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ, he has bridged the gap from beginning to end by his cross and by his blood. Now isn't I think that's wonderful. I don't know about you, but I think that's just wonderful. And make no mistake, do not rest for salvation upon your own obedience, but upon the obedience of another. Philippians 2 put it like this in verse 8, when he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and that was after obedience and completely fulfilling the whole law, uh, of God's law, every jot, every tittle, and yet... He died on the cross and was obedient to God's will. So what I want you to see here, that right away at the beginning, here is what the whole redemption of Jesus Christ that we enjoy today consists of, restoring obedience in its rightful place in our lives and in the whole of the universe. Uh, It's always that way. It has always been that way. It always will be. God's chief desire for you and me tonight is obedience. So there's obedience from cover to cover. Now let's go back a little bit. Go back to obedience in the Old Testament. I can't give you all the examples tonight. I told you I wouldn't give you all the examples. But first of all, obedience in the Old Testament, we see Noah. Uh, a, A few examples here. One would be Noah, the life of Noah. If Adam was the father of the race, then the race was wiped out by the flood. And God, as it were, made a new father of the race in the person of Noah. And four times in Genesis 7, verses 5, 9, and 16, we read something like, Noah did according to all that God commanded Noah, so did he. Something then in that form. All that God commanded, Noah did. He was obedient to God. You know the story and... You want to review that story, but you go back and you review that story, you'll find that every time God told Noah to do something, he did it. And you know the story about how only eight were saved. And what I want you to see is that Noah's obedience that led him him to the saving of other men, other people, being a positive influence on the lives of other people. Noah. Then there's Abraham. We move from Noah to Abraham. If Noah was the father of a new race, Abraham is the father of a chosen race. And in Hebrews 11, that great chapter on faith, not to exclude faith, in verse 8 we read, by faith Abraham, has some other things in there, but it says, by faith Abraham obeyed. Obedience and faith do not cancel one another out. And you know, you will know, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, that the crowning act of Abraham's obedience was when he bound his son to the altar and 
lifted up that knife in the, according to the orders that God had given to him. And he was about ready to plunge it into his breast. And God was well pleased with him because of his absolute unquestioning obedience. Now, if you go to that passage in Genesis 22 and verse 12, you'll see there that it says, And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And then if you go down a little farther in verse 18, it says, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And then what he says after that, and I want you to pay attention to this statement. He said, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Through Abraham's obedience by faith, the rest of the nation, the rest of the nations of the world would be blessed. Oh, that we would realize right at the very beginning of the Bible, before Christ died or rose again, or before the local church was ever established, obedience is God's way to bless himself and his name and to bless the nations of the world around us. And it speaks of a will utterly given up to God's will. Now, before we look at any other scriptures, I want to ask you this. And I ask you this from the depths of my heart. Is your will completely and utterly surrendered to God's will? You see, that's God's desire for you. That was God's desire for you before you were saved. And then there's Moses. Moses, when he went up to Mount Sinai and was given the message of God to the people, God said to him in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5, If Ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. You know, Moses so often obeyed the voice of the Lord, but when it came to the erection of the tabernacle, the tent of worship in the wilderness, in the last three chapters of the book of Exodus, I believe you'll find at least 19 times this expression, as the Lord commanded Moses, as the Lord commanded Moses, over and over again, you find as the Lord commanded Moses. And then after that, and this is a very telling statement, from that came a natural chain reaction that we read, and it says, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It filled it because Moses was obedient. I don't think the words could be any plainer. God is telling us right here in the Old Testament period that he dwells in the midst of a people of obedience. And he still is doing the same today. If you want to know God's presence in your home, if you want to know God's presence in our church, if you want to know God's presence in your business, obey God. Obey God. He crowns obedience with his presence. Now, Let's just take that a bit farther. From 40 days of wandering and disobedience, it would have to be said that the Israelites again came to a new beginning. They were facing the promised land. They were about to enter Canaan. And if you were to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, you don't need to turn there tonight, but if you were to read at your leisure the book of Deuteronomy, that is a book that is written in sight of the promised land by Moses. And there's no other book in the whole word of God that 
uses the word obey so frequently and outlines the blessings that obedience will incur upon us. I think it can all be summed up in that familiar statement in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 27, where God said to Moses, a blessing, if ye obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, which I command you this day. Now, I know we're still in the Old Testament, and you know that this is a principle that goes right on through the New Testament, and we'll see that in a moment, even in grace and even in Christ. That if you want to be blessed of God, you need to start obeying God. If you want to be cursed of God, even as a believer. If you want to go undergo God's discipline, God's displeasure, just live in disobedience and rebellion to Him. And that's why we need to be aware of, beware of praying only for God's blessings. You know, sometimes we hear, hear in uh, prayer meetings, Lord bless me. Lord bless this church. And when that, uh, when what God's word is telling us, even back in the Old Testament, if you look after obedience, then God will look after your blessings. Notice one more in the Old Testament. That's King Saul. We've already started with him. But maybe you've learned early in your Christian life or even in your, in, uh, whatever state of Christian maturity you are. The next new beginning in the Old Testament is the appointment of a king. Remember, the people wanted a king. And the first king that God chose was Saul. And there uh, as a solemn warning in the story of Saul that we read from the opening text because the story of Saul, if it tells us nothing else, is this, that God requires exact and entire obedience of all his children. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10, Samuel commanded Saul that he was to wait seven days until he, the prophet Samuel, came to him. And Samuel would perform a sacrifice. And Samuel would tell uh, Saul from the mouth of the Lord what he wanted him to do. Now Samuel, as far as Saul was concerned, didn't come on time. Uh, And when he was delayed, uh, Saul decided, well, I'm the king. I might as well sacrifice. And if I can't sacrifice, who else can? And so Saul sacrificed. And when Samuel returned, we read in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 13, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Now, what does that tell us? Well, it simply tells us that God will not honor a man or a woman who is not obedient to him. The second test of what was in Saul's heart was that he was commanded of God and the prophet to execute God's judgment against the nation of Amalek. And so he obeys with no, uh, no doubt about it. We, we mentioned this, this morning, he, he obeys God. He gathers a great army. Uh, as we read that there, you'll find it's about 200,000 or so men. He destroys Amalek after going into the wilderness to chase them. But what we need to see is that God told Saul very, very clearly to listen to his words. And he said, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Again, you know the story. He obeyed God, and yet he in his human wisdom decided as Saul, the king, he would spare the best of the cattle. He might as well 
uh, spare King Agag as well. And he would take the cattle and he'd do something very, very religious, very spiritual, very commendable. He would sacrifice them to the living God. And yet God speaks to Samuel and Samuel speaks to the Saul and says, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he hath not performed my commandments. You know, if we're not willing to obey God in every way, we can do all the good things. We can serve in church. We can do, uh, we can even be a witness. But if we're not willing to obey, then we're still disobedient. When Samuel comes to Saul twice, Saul angrily responds and he protests him. But I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And so he had. And we might well think, well, he hadn't obeyed completely. His obedience had been partial. His obedience had not been entire and absolute. And God said, utterly destroy all, spare not. And to sum it all up, we read the words at the beginning of 1 Samuel 15, and God said to obey is better than sacrifice. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord hath rejected thee. Now, if you ever, if there ever was an ancient picture of a modern day believer's disobedience, that would be one. Modern day believer's obedience is partial. Many times. Maybe you're here tonight and you read your Bible. You're faithful to read your Bible. But you don't take the opportunity to witness to people of Christ that you know are unsaved. You keep some of the commandments. That is, you've, you haven't committed adultery. You haven't murdered anybody. In fact, the fact of the matter is, you know as well as I do that your obedience is only in measure. You're not doing all that God has asked you to do. And we say like Paul or Saul, but I have obeyed the Lord. Well, maybe you've obeyed the Lord, but it could be that we're protesting to God. I have obeyed the Lord. I have obeyed God. But God is saying, as he said to Saul, but ye have rejected the word of the Lord. Now that's obedience in the Old Testament. Now let's move on to the New Testament. And I think probably one of the greatest examples, of course, in the New Testament would be Jesus Christ. We see our blessed Savior, we see Him very clearly in the New Testament, discovering the reason the Lord Jesus came to this earth was because of obedience. You've heard Him say, I'm sure, Lo, I come to do Thy will, O God. And many times did He confess to men, I seek not my will, but the will of Him who sent me. You just go through and read the teachings of the Lord Jesus and you find there obedience was what he required. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, but they're not going to get in. And he concludes the manner by saying, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, he will inherit the kingdom. In his farewell course, he uh, discourse, he revealed at the very end of his ministry that obedience was a condition for constant fellowship with the triune Godhead. 
And then we come back to our study in John. You hoped I'd finally get there, right? But John's Gospel, let me show you again, in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 15, this is a tremendous word, verse, If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And then verse 21, He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Sound familiar? Well, if you were here this morning, we talked about verse 21, but we also talked about verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And I trust I can be absolutely clear here tonight. If you want to know the reality of God's presence and the moving of God in your life, you need to be obedient. God's word is absolute. It's categorical. God's not answering your prayers. God's not giving you what you want. God's not changing your circumstances the way you feel they need to be changed. Maybe you're out of God's will in those matters, and maybe you're not. Maybe those things are genuine. Could it be that you're not obeying in God, God in some other way? If you want communion with God, if you want to really know God, chapter 15 of John, we'll get there here eventually in a few weeks. If you want communion to know God, chapter 15 tells us very clearly, if you want to abide in the vine, how do you do it? It's more than prayer that will cause you to abide. It's, is it having more faith? Is it trying to believe for more? Is it studying more of God's word? Is it knowing more facts about prophecy or eschatology or all sorts of doctrines of God's word? If we believe that, you want to know something? We've overlooked one of the basic simple teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is this. Obedience is the way of blessing. John chapter 15, verse 10, look at it. It says, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. And he gave a divine sanction for it, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Can you imagine this? For the Lord Jesus Christ himself on this earth and for us, the only way to abide in divine love is to keep his commandments. Again, we haven't got time to look at it today, but... We could look at the words of the various apostles. Just mention the book of Acts. Peter, in Acts chapter 5, said, The Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul, at the beginning and the end, Paul teaches that as obedience of Christ has made us righteous, we become servants of obedience. In other words, the gospel of grace that is outlined in the epistle of Paul to the Romans is that the restoration of righteousness that it was lost way back in the Garden of Eden, Christ on the cross restored to us the ability to obey God. I wonder, are we? It was A.W. Tozer who said, To escape the error of salvation by works, we have fallen into the opposite error of salvation without obedience. And there is no such thing. 
Someone else said, when Christ takes the burden of guilt off of a sinner's shoulders, he places the yoke of obedience upon his neck. And then you go to James. And James, did he not teach us that we're not to be hearers only, but doers of the word? And he expounds from the character of Abraham how he was justified and the faith was perfect. Uh, his faith was perfect by what? His faith was perfected by the works of obedience. And then of course, First John, First John, the apostle tells us, "He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar." That's sometimes something we don't like to hear, isn't it? Nobody likes to be called a liar. You see, in, in politics, they do everything they can, except that one guy during a speech of Obama who said, liar, you remember that? One guy did it. But it seems like the media, everybody else, avoids all, at all costs calling someone a liar. The Lord doesn't avoid that. He's very blunt up front. He says, right here, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And he goes on to say that obedience is one of the certain proofs of Christian character. Let us love in deed and truth. Hereby we shall assure our hearts before him that whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because... We keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Again, that's one of those areas where it says, you know, you can ask God anything you want. No, if you're keeping his commandments, you can be assured that whatsoever you ask, we will receive. In other words, the evidence of knowing God is obedience. It's almost the secret of a good conscience and a confident prayer. Are you laboring in prayer for something that you need from God and God's not giving it to you? Maybe there's an area of disobedience in your life. Someone else put it like this. We cannot rely on God's promises without obeying his commands. And if we aren't in obedience to God, God's not going to hear our prayers. Now, I've hardly scratched the surface of this subject of obedience, especially since there are a thousand commands in the New Testament. But this is the place that obedience has in the Holy Scriptures. This is the place in the book that we value so highly. And the question is, does it have the same prominence in our lives? And as I close, let me just share you, with you four things. For, number one, the Lord asks and the Lord requires and actually expects every one of his children to yield absolute obedience to him day by day, every hour of the day. You say, boy, that's hard. You know what, though? That's what the Lord expects. That's what he requires. And to enable us, number two, to enable us or this, To do this, he has given us sufficient provision in the gift of his Son and the gift of his Holy Spirit. And as someone has put it, all heaven is waiting to help those who will discover the will of God and do it. God has put himself at your disposal. The provision alone can be enjoyed by the soul that gives him or herself to a life of abiding communion with God in his presence day by day. 
I read this statement this week. It said, one of the reasons people find it hard to be obedient to the commands of Christ is that they're uncomfortable taking orders from a stranger. Ouch. Is Jesus Christ a stranger? I think he is to many Christians. Is that why you're not obeying the Lord? Because Christ is a stranger to you? You see, obedience is the fruit, and the root of obedience is love. If you do not have a cultivating relationship of love with the lover of your souls, the blessed Lord Jesus, you will never get to the point where obeying him is an absolute delight, an absolute necessity. And then number four, entrance into this life demands a vow of absolute obedience or the surrender of our entire being to God. That means to do whatever he wants me to do, to think whatever he wants me to think, to speak only that which he wants me to speak, to do that every moment of my day. Simon, on one occasion, after being dejected, thinking that all of his dreams were drowned, was out with some of his disciples going back to their fishing nets. And when a stranger at that time appeared to them, they said, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. But who was that stranger? It was the Savior. And he spoke to them and he gave them the command to cast their net on the other side. Now, what do you think went through the mind of Peter, this experienced fisherman? It'd be like me telling some of you guys how to fish. You'd say, what do you know? All you can do is fish golf balls out of the pond. You know, Peter probably said, look, I think I know what's best. I've been doing this all my life, but... I'm going to obey you. I'm going to trust that you're right. And you know what happened? You know what happened. The nets were breaking with fish because Peter obeyed. It was Oswald Chambers that said these remarkable words, the best measure of a spiritual life is not its ecstasies, but its obedience. Someone else said, I had rather obey than work miracles. Do you obey him? Is the whole reason, uh, is that the whole reason why you were saved? God dwells in the midst of his people's obedience. And it requires exact and entire obedience. It's a certificate of Christian character. It's the secret of a good conscience. It's the assurance of confidently, a confident answered prayer. But if we're not completely obedient to him, we can be sure we have none of those things. Are you a friend of Jesus? Do you do whatever he commands you to do? On one occasion, the Lord Jesus said to the disciples, Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? I came across this poem this week, and I'll close with it. It's as if the Lord Jesus is speaking to all of our hearts, and it says, You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me way and walk me not. You call me life and desire me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. 
You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me noble and serve me not. You call me mighty and honor me not. You call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Let's bow our heads in prayer.